Uh, Mark chapter number 10, and we're going to start down verse number 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed as they followed. They were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for uh, opportunity to be together today. And Lord, I pray that you would calm our hearts and minds. We live in a busy world and or allow this time not to be busy, but be very focused upon you. And Lord, I pray you put those thoughts of what happens in this afternoon, this evening to rest. And Lord, help us to look in your word and be challenged by it. Lord, help us to follow you. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Since the day Jesus began his earthly ministry, he called his disciples to follow him. Follow me, he says. And he tried to help them to see who he was. And as we've been going through the book of Mark, uh, we see numerous times where he's trying to help them understand who he truly is. And uh, they believed that he was a good teacher, a good, good prophet, and, and a man of God. And uh, they definitely looked to him as their rabbi, their leader. And he was going to deliver them from the nation, their nation from the Roman Empire. That's the way they looked at it. They believed that Jesus was going to restore Israel to its greatness. And they believed that he would be the king of Israel. And they're right. But their timing was horrible. Uh, It wasn't this time. This wasn't going to happen then. Jesus is the king of Israel. Amen. And he's going to return and he will rule. But not at that time when they were thinking. The disciples believed that these things were happening in their lifetime. And they believed that Jesus was on the verge of making these things happen. He was going about just right on the, the cusps of establishing the kingdom on the earth. They failed to understand many truths and, uh, you know, and re- didn't understand what the Lord was really doing. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a military leader. They wanted to overthrow the Romans. And they weren't looking for a man who was going to get crucified. Right? That doesn't make any sense. You want to deliver or you don't want him crucified. You want him alive. They simply could not understand that uh, or comprehend the truth that the Messiah would have to die to accomplish the mission on earth. They didn't understand that. So once again, Jesus tells his men what's about to take place. He gives them the clearest and detailed statement. I mean, I just read those verses for you, verses 33 and 34. You can't get any clearer than that. This is what's going to happen. And as this is occurring, Jesus went before them. They're on the way to Jerusalem, right, in verse 32. And uh, he was it was common because they looked the disciples looked at Jesus as their rabbi, as their leader. So it was very common for the, the leader to be out front, the rabbi. And that's where the leader should be, right out front, not in the back. That's not a very good leader if you're at the back. You need to be at the front. And he was leading them. Leading them in the ways of truth. I mean, leading them, obviously, to Jerusalem, but leading them in the ways of truth more specifically. And in this passage, we see Jesus leading his man and blazing a trail for all who would receive him by faith. For everybody. 
So we see Jesus and his focus. Number one, Jesus and his focus. And the phrase says, and Jesus went before them in verse number 32, and they were on their way going up to Jerusalem. Jesus went before them. It's, uh, it kind of gives you the idea that uh, Jesus kept going and going. He, it was a walk, and they were chatting, and Jesus was getting them focused. He's leading them the right way. This is a picture of a man whose face is set for the task. You, you, you've been to work, right? You've gone to work. You know, Maybe some of you are like, I need a vacation now, Pastor. Don't talk about work. But you've been to work, and you can tell when someone comes to work and they're ready to work, right? Their face is set for the task. The attitude, the way they walk. Uh, I, I remember working with my dad, and you know the guys would come in dragging their feet and kicking stones as they were coming. My dad would be furious, like, "Come on, it's time to work. Let's go, focus." Jesus' mind here was focused on what laid before. He was determined to what the actions that needed to take place, and he would not be distracted from his mission. His mind was fixed on some things that he had to carry out. He was focused on Jerusalem. Uh, we see here they were on their way up to Jerusalem. They're headed to the capital of Israel, the place where the temple resided. They were traveling the same road to walk by thousands, if not millions, who would come to prepare for sacrifice, to have their sacrifice. Millions have walked that way. That's the road they were headed. They were headed to a specific place. They were told they were going up. Now, I've not been to Israel yet. I hope that... Ha- I know it's going to happen sometime, right? Because the Bible tells us we're going to be in Israel and Jerusalem sometime, right? Christians, you understand that? I, I can, already, I can, I'm foretelling your future. Okay. The Bible tells us that, you know, one day we'll return with the Lord to Jerusalem. Amen. We'll be there. But I'm kind of hoping that this lifetime I'll get there too. But, uh, I'm told that Jerusalem is located on the, the mountains of Israel. So it's going up. It's a higher elevation. And as always speak of going up to the city of Jerusalem. One reason for the way of thinking is actually, you know, think about spiritual nature. Jerusalem was the home of the temple of worship of Jehovah. It was the place that God dwelt. It was here the sacrifices were all offered and atonement was made for the people. And to the Jew, Jerusalem was always on the way up. It was speaker of a higher spiritual elevation in their minds. That's the city in which they were headed to that day. However, I do not think that Jesus had the city on his mind. I don't think he was too focused on the temple or the religious rituals that were taking place. I don't think he was contemplating the sights that he would see. I don't think he was too worried or focused upon uh, the sounds and the people that he would see. I think he was really focused upon one place, and that was Golgotha. Because that's where he was headed. That was the purpose of the journey. That was where he was going. His mind was on that place, because that place he would give himself as an eternal sacrifice. For all sin and for all sinners. Amen. For everyone. Every day of his life, every step of his ministry, every miracle performed, every sermon he preached, every single thing that Jesus did was pointing towards this event. Because this event changed the world. What Jesus did on the cross changed the world. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And Calvary was the focus of His mind as He walked up the way to Jerusalem. That's what He's thinking about. 
His death was promised to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. He was prefigured in every sacrifice and offering that took place in the tabernacle, that happened in the temple. His death was the theme of the Old Testament prophets looking to that lamb. I mean, that was his focus. And Jesus and his death on the cross would accomplish all all he would surmount all the sacrifices that could ever be given at the temple and at the tabernacle because he was the only true lamb worthy to ever all sing. Only him. Only him. For by one offering he perfected for them that are sanctified. Hebrews 10.14 As Jesus made his way up towards Jerusalem, the plan of salvation was on his mind. Aren't you glad it was on his mind? The plan that was set forth so that we could know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and be saved. I mean, as I read this this week and studied it and things, it was such an encouragement to know that he was thinking about me. And I was a long ways off. He, hey, listen, today, uh, Jesus Christ, he knows your name. He knows your name. And you're like, well, that's no big deal. Yeah, but there's 7.2 billion other people and he knows all their names too. He knows all the names of all the planets. He created all of them. He created you, amen? He knows you. He loves you. And he's provided salvation for you. He just wants you to freely take it. That's all you had to do is to take it. It's simply there. He had salvation in his mind. He was headed to Jerusalem to deal with sin. He's headed there to take care of it. And nothing would stand in his way. I'm so glad for that. That he didn't get distracted from providing salvation for us all. Jesus and the disciples, we see in verse number 32. And Jesus went before them and they were amazed. And they they followed. They were afraid. These verses don't simply talk about the Savior. They also tell us the mindset of his disciples. We're told here in verse number 32 that they were amazed. That word means to be astonished or frightened. And then we're told that they were afraid. Now, I'm not a big uh, language guy. Like, I'm not, you know, this was in the Greek, but this is a pretty cool situation with a Greek word and as we translate the English. So that word afraid is phobo, which we get phobia from. You know what phobia is, right? It's fear. Fear, okay? It actually means to be put to flight, to seize with alarm. You're afraid. So um, I, I can remember sometimes that, you know, when we get afraid, we really do some really irrational things, don't we? Yeah, you're all, no, Pastor, that never happens. Come on. It happens to you. I can remember this one time we were driving through the, the hills of Vermont, the New England there, Appalachian, uh, the top there. It was beautiful. If you've never been to Vermont, I highly recommend this beautiful place. But this is back when I was about 15 years old, and my dad had a, well, actually, I think it was my grandfather's, because he rigged it up a little different. It was a Chevy van, you know, one of the first passenger vans, you know what I'm talking about. And so he took the back seat and put it, like, in the middle. I don't think that was actually legal, but he did it. And uh, so it was my mom, my little brother Daniel, who's not so little anymore, he's bigger than me, but, and then me. Okay, we're on the back. And there was a big space between us and where my dad was driving and my sister. 
I probably shouldn't tell my sister I preached this today, so at any rate, you'll find out in a second. Uh, And she's sitting there, and a bee came in the window. This is before, like, so I'm from Newfoundland, so we didn't have AC. Like, we don't need AC. Never gets warm in Newfoundland. But when you go to Vermont, it's warm in the summertime, so the windows are all down. And this bee flew in. And I don't know what the word for a fear of bees is, but my sister has it, okay? And uh, so if you know those Chev vans are a bit bigger. They're not like the more smaller compact vans today. Uh, and it was that big um, engine hub. I don't know if that's the right name for it, but you know that big bow that comes out between the, the driver's seat and the passenger? So there's a bit of distance between, like, the passenger and the driver. And my sister's beginning to go hysterical. That this bee is going on, so I'm kind of looking at my mom, we're like, ha ha, that's kind of funny, you know, type, we don't care, bee's not around us. And, uh, all of a sudden, my sister becomes, like, Superman or Superwoman. Her left leg comes up over that hub. I don't know, why would you use your leg to hit a bee, but she thought this was a great idea. Her left leg comes up, and she swats at the, the bee, with her leg and kicks my dad in the face. <laughs> we're driving the Ver I mean, we were driving English style in Vermont then. My dad was on the other side of the road, soon adjusted, and he adjusted my sister's perspective after that too. But it was all because of fear. She did that because she was afraid of the bee. You know, and, and uh we do crazy things when we get afraid. We do irrational things. And so these these men are seized with fear. I mean, uh, they're, they're alarmed. And, and we see later that this fear did not go away because they did flee, right, when the Lord was taken. But the Lord trying to help them. He, he's trying to help them through this. And, uh, and there's something about the, the Lord's demeanor here that, he, that these men were filled with fear. He's, he's telling them. And, and there was some, I'm, I'm sure it was part of it, is that they knew that the Lord was not, he was serious. He wasn't joking around. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. You know, those times when you adjust that child's uh, behavior and you tell them, listen, if this doesn't happen, this will happen. You know, you, you get their attention, you know what I'm talking about? They're focused. They could see the same focus in Jesus, and they were afraid of what was going to happen. The cause of the fears is the disciples were afraid for Jesus. I believe that. They loved the Lord. They knew that religious leaders hated Jesus. And they had seen several bitter uh, uh, counters with the Jewish religious crowd. Uh, they were upset by his miracles. They were upset by his claim to be Messiah. They were upset that Jesus, uh, they, want, they, they were so upset, sorry, that they wanted Jesus to die. They wanted to get rid of him. You know, there was one event that really got their anger to a Pinnacle, you could say. And, and that event was when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. This miracle was so clearly identified Jesus as God in the flesh. Because no man can go to a tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth. Everyone be like, he needs to go home. He's in the sun too long. That doesn't work for men. But the God of creation can tell whatever he wants to come forth, and it will come forth. He has all power. He has all power. And they saw that and they, they were, they did not want to believe that and they did not want to think that he was that. So they were more determined ever than to see him dead. You can find that in John chapter 11. And they went so far as they, they took up stones to stone him in John chapter 10. They were ready to, to beat him with stones then. 
And the disciples know this and they're amazed that Jesus seems to be marching to his death. Marching to his death. I don't know about you, but when you think a friend's making a bad decision, most good friends would say, hey, that's a really bad idea. Let's not do that. You know, let, let's let's get focused here. And I'm sure that the disciples, I mean, again, in their innocency, they, 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 they didn't understand everything was happening. They were probably trying to change the Lord's mind. And every attempt, Jesus would refute them and continue marching to Jerusalem. Disciples were afraid for Jesus. But I think they were a bit afraid for themselves, too. This is not what they signed up for. When Jesus called the, the fishermen, come follow me, they never thought this would be taking place. This was far from their mind. They followed Him and believed Him because He was the Messiah. They followed Him because He was supposed to establish the kingdom. They followed Him because He was supposed to give rid of the Romans. They followed Him because they thought that He would be reigning now, and now He appears to be marching to His death. I, 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 we don't like this idea. I mean, that's what, really what they're saying. But with that said, even though they were afraid, they did have some courage. Even though... They can't talk Jesus out of going to Jerusalem, even though they probably wanted to run away as fast as they could. They continue to follow him. Now, that's a great testimony, isn't it? They were resolved to follow Jesus. Now, now we really get on Thomas, don't we? Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? I'm not going to believe until I see Jesus' hand, you know, type of thing, and see the see the wounds and things. But you know, in John chapter 11, verse 16, he says, "Let us go. Or let us also go that we may die with him." That's what Thomas said. Now, we know that he ran, he feared, and, and ran away. I understand that. But he was trying to resolve himself, I'm going to follow Jesus. As much as sometimes we, uh, we, we're like, oh, Thomas, you're such a doubter. We need to give him a little credit that he was willing to resolve himself to follow Jesus. He was willing to do that. You know, it's kind of hard to find people with resolve today. It seems that that's a, a, the least little thing is going to knock us off course to following the Lord. Our word's spoken out of turn. Uh, you know, I can't do this, and this is inconvenient, and this will cause me trouble. The, you know, we need to make sure that we're not like a subpar uh, follower of Jesus Christ, that a little inconvenience is, not, is going to stop us from following Him. We need to be resolved and say, listen, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to stand my place. And never be one of these and say, I didn't know it was going to be like this, so I'm out. It's going to cost me too much, I'm out. Hey, it cost our Savior everything. He put Himself on the cross for us, for you, for me, for all mankind. He did that. Hey, let's follow. Let's just be resolved that we're going to follow the Lord and do what's right. Each and every day we're going to determine in our hearts that that's what we're going to do. The cure for their fears. Jesus sensed the fear in his men. And he took time to comfort them. We all deal with fear from time to time, like I just told you about my sister. We all deal with it. There isn't a person in this room who doesn't have questions and doubts and fears in various areas of your life. It might, might be not today. You're like, you're good today, but tomorrow or it was yesterday. We all face it. We all face it. It's human. It's because we're, we're flesh. We all have doubts. We all have fears. But we have a Lord who cares. Amen? 
He cares about those things that upset us and disturb us. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Hey, that care you have of raising children, bring it to the Lord. Hey, that care that you have at work, things are going good, the boss is not being easy to deal with, he's being unreasonable or whatever the case, bring it to the Lord. Hey, the car's not working. Bring it to the Lord. And bring those things and cast it upon Him, for He careth for you. In fact, we're told in the Word that he touches, He's touched. Uh, what touches us touches Him. For we have not a high priest which cannot, cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted like as ye are, yet without sin. He cares. You ever feel that you're inadequate for the task that lays before you? He knows and He cares. You ever feel like, hey, I, I know I can do better, but Lord, I struggle. He cares. He'll help you. That's how much our Savior cares. He knows your name. He knows your spirit. He knows the problems you face. He knows the insecurities you have. He's there and He cares. We need to go to Him, amen? We need to go to Him and ask for help and cast our care upon Him. He's concerned about you. And He invites you to bring your fears and cares to Him. Uh, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and grace to, to help in time of need. Hey, maybe today things are going great for you, but there will be a day, and it might not be too far away, where you're going to need help and grace. Amen? He's there. Maybe it's you today. I, I'm right there today. Pastor Alcock, I am right there today. Well, I've got great news for you. He cares. Come to Him boldly. Come to Him boldly. Don't allow your, your fears, your doubts, your concerns to derail you. Don't allow the insecurities to, to throw you off track for serving Jesus Christ. Keep serving. Keep going forward. Keep bringing those things to Him. Bring uh, them to Jesus and find a friend who's there to help. He's there to help you deal with those things. 2 Corinthians 2, 12, verse 8 says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. This is Paul. He had a problem. Brought it to the Lord three times. And it might depart from me. And he said unto me, That's the Lord. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most, there, most gladly, therefore, I rather glory my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the reality is that insecurity might never go away, but the Lord can always be there to help you get through it. Hey, is that really that hard for the God who created the universe? To help you with your insecurities? To help you with your fears? To help you with your cares? To help you with the problems that you face? No, nothing is bigger than the Creator. Amen? We can bring it to Him. Jesus and His future. Verses 33 and 34, He, he goes through there. He, he tells them exactly what's happened. We'll go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered on the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn Him to death, and shall deliver Him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock Him. And shall scourge Him. And shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Jesus speaks to his men very plainly about his future. This is his future. He tells them in very clear terms what's going to happen. Why did Jesus do that? 
I think, first of all, he's telling them to show them again that he's God. He knows it's going to happen, right? I know it's going to happen. I know the plan. He knows the plan because he was involved in developing it, right? He, he developed it himself. He knows what's happening. And second, he knows these things because they're found in the Old Testament. He read the Old Testament and everything that Jesus tells his men in these verses are prophesied of the Savior in the Old Testament. They would have read it. He's showing them that, hey, it's, it's coming to pass what was written in the Old Testament. I say that to say this, that if you want to know the mind of God, you need to be in his book. You need to be in the Bible. If you want to know what the Lord will have for your life, young person, middle-aged person, married person, family man or family woman, whoever you are, if you want to know what God wants for you, you need to be in his book. You need to be in the Bible. You have to be in the Bible. He has all the information you need for for life and for death within the pages of that book. He has that information. And that's why it's there for, for us to, to know. The Bible is for us to read and understand and apply to our hearts and lives. It's just not for the pastor, the assistant pastor, or the Sunday school teacher. No, you need to be studying God's Word, amen? You need to know it. You need to be diving in each day. Now, there's people who have extensive and expensive educations who have no knowledge of spiritual matters. And then there's people who can barely read, who do not have that same uh, level of education and definitely don't have the money for that, but they know the Word of God and they're wise in the things of God. You know what the difference is? They spend time in God's Word. And the others ignore it and downtrodden it and they want to get rid of it. The Word of God. Read the Word of God and it will make you wise. It will help you live a life that will be honoring to Him. And in these verses, Jesus tells His men what He's about to suffer. We see that He's going to be rejected. The leaders of the Jews would make a final rejection of Jesus as Messiah. We find that in John chapter 1, verse 11. The Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, would condemn Him as a common criminal and sentence Him to death. The Jews, the people He came to save, or turn him over to the Gentiles so they could put him to death. So he's going to be rejected. He's going to be ridiculed and he's going to die. As he died, the crowd was around the cross, mocking the Son of God, ridiculing him. The guards of the high priest mocked him. The soldiers of Pilate mocked him. The crowds mocked him. You find that in Matthew 26 and Matthew 27. They took the Son of God and they scourged him. They bent him over a low pole and they beat his back with a whip. I mean, they beat him. John chapter 19. You know, many people died from that beating. It's recorded in history. Lots of people died from that beating. Just with the whip. Not the cross. The whip. They spat in his face. Ripped his beard from his face. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair and hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 56. They nailed the King of Glory to an old cross, a Roman cross, and He hung there for agonizing hours and He died. They removed that dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ and 
buried him in a borrowed tomb. I'm so glad it doesn't end there, amen? And he says, and the third day he shall rise again. He future involved resurrection. Three days after the king died on the cross, he got up from the dead. He rose. He, he laid down his life and now he rose again. And on the third day, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And had the keys of hell and of death. He's alive. Our Savior lives. Amen. He's not in a tomb today. He's not in a grave. He's on high. He's in heaven, interceding for His children, for those who believe in Him. What does that mean for us? Simply that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you never need fear, death, hell, or grave anymore, or the coming judgment for those who don't accept Christ. When Jesus died, He wasn't dying for Himself. He was dying for all those who had placed their faith and trust in Him. When Jesus died, He opened the way of salvation for every person who would receive Him as their Savior. So that means if the whole world turned to Jesus Christ, what He did was enough to take care of the whole world. What a Savior. What a Savior. When Jesus rose, He rose with everlasting life for all those who have faith in Him. John 11 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the resurrection of life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? I love that end of that verse. Believest thou this? Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe what Jesus Christ had done on the cross for you? And what the power uh, that He has? He rose again. Now He's provided salvation for all. Do you believe that? Do you? You see, Jesus went before us. He went before us, providing the way of salvation. He endured the wrath of God on the cross before us. He, he rose from the dead before us. He paved the way for us if we will simply follow Him. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. If we will accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will enjoy His perfect, eternal salvation. Amen? I like that's eternal. And it's perfect. And we'll experience peace with God for eternity. So the reality is, folks, if... If heaven is true and what I'm telling you this morning is right, which I believe in all my heart, I know the Lord has changed me. I'm a different man from the day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know the Word of God is true from experience, from having my life and reading the Word of God and knowing what's taking place. It's true. So if heaven is true, so is hell. If heaven is a place of eternal peace and rest. Hell is eternal and there's no peace and there is no rest for eternity. So what's your choice? Your choice is one or the other. You just say, oh, I'm going to walk the middle of the road. You walk the middle of the road, you're going to hell. I'm just, I mean, just being honest with you. If you don't accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Word of God says, you will not go to heaven. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. You, 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 hell is your eternal destiny. 
Folks, why would you want to choose that? Doesn't Jesus sound so much more appealing? Doesn't he, doesn't just, I mean, I just like saying the name Jesus. It just gives me peace. The name's sweet, it's wonderful, and you get to know him, it just is amazing. I choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Jesus led the way. Like a good shepherd, he walked before his flock, taking care of their need as they advanced forward. He cleared the way for his people. He came to this world with a single goal. He came to accomplish salvation. Hey, his death on the cross was not an accident. It wasn't plan B. It was the only plan. He came for that purpose. You might hear us at Christmas time, at Christmas programs, that he came to die. And that's exactly right. He was born to die. He came to take away the sins of the world. That's why he came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again. He did what we could not. And that way we could not. We could never do it. And he gives us the opportunity to be eternally saved. And he says, follow me. What believest thou? What believest thou this morning? Folks, you're going to do a lot of important things this week. I understand that. But this is the most important thing that you can ever decide. This is for eternity. This will change your life. I would plead with you to make the choice for Jesus.